0: I'm reading from Genesis chapter 41 and verse 25. I preach today from the office in which I hold and which I was called. Amen. I preach today from the vantage of a lifetime of service before the Lord of every struggle and every victory. And finally, I preach today in view and in light of the diversity of tenure in the faith for all the people of God, regardless of where you've come from or what your past, present might appear to be. And I know that the Lord has prepared a word for you. The beauty of the broken bread is that when Jesus fed the 5,000 and the 4,000, is that the same loaf fed everyone. Such is the case with the bread of life that one word can feed every individual situation and answer every issue and problem, no matter the differences that we have. Amen. Uh, Genesis 41 and verse 25, Joseph said to Pharaoh, and I'm taking you in stride. Uh, So a lot has happened here, but he's now going to reveal the dreams that Pharaoh's had. The dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years Seven good heads of grain are seven years. It's one and the same dream. The Lean, ugly cows, those gaunt cows that come after the, the strong cows, those are seven years. And the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind, those are seven years of famine. Joseph said, it's just as I said to you, Pharaoh. God has shown you what he is about to do. Seven years of abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt. But seven years of famine will follow. And then notice here, then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land, verse 31, will not be remembered you won't remember it because the famine that follows it will be so severe. Notice verse 32. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it. Now stay right there with verse 32. I don't want you to turn to these verses. I just want to emphasize something that's happening here in the scripture. In Numbers 35 and 30, um, the law said, if there's an issue, it'll be resolved by the mouth of, of two or more witnesses. In First Timothy five, you don't, you don't receive an, uh, an accusation against any elder or leader, but with two or three witnesses. In 2 Corinthians 13, Paul said, "I'm coming to you." And he said, "In the mouth of two or three witnesses, shall every word be established." In John 8, 17 and 18, he said, it's also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I bear witness of myself. My father bear witness. It means that both the flesh and the spirit was given credence to him. So the emphasis is by two. And when there's two, it means it's emphatic. It will not change ever. It's done. It's as if it has already happened. You can't change the two. You can change the one. You can argue with the one, but you can't argue with the two. And so when Joseph stands before Pharaoh, he's going to give an emphasis. There's a reason why you had two dreams and not one. Because this is done. God's going to do it. Now, God's already going to do it. The question is, what are you going to do p- to prepare for it? It will happen. L- let me just say to everybody. There will be a rapture, a catching away of the bride of Jesus Christ. The world will come to an end. It will happen. You you can't it you cannot change that. You cannot change that. Jerusalem will find two witnesses, and they'll be preaching. This is the Bible. They in in prophetic word, there's going to be a witness in the end time. There is going to be a resurrection of the dead in Christ. They will rise first. And the Bible says, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet them in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. It's going to happen. Everyone who's ever died in the faith, they're asleep in Jesus Christ right now. And there is a home, a robe, a crown, and a mansion and streets of gold waiting for you. Amen. It will happen. But there are other things also. There will be trouble, and there will be trial. And there will be a harvest, and there will be a famine. Amen. And today I preach this, my joy. Everyone say, my joy. Amen. Amen. Uh, turn to someone and uh, say, um, tell them that, that they're a wonderful, say it, you are a wonderful person. And then you may be seen.
1: cup, Lord, I lift it up, Lord. Come and
0: feed my spirit, my soul, bread of heaven. Maybe you may see Here's my Somebody help me with this. I, I feel the
1: same. Here's my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Come and quit this thirsting of my soul. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Here's my cup, lift it up, make me whole. Here's my cup, Lord, I lift it up, Lord. Come and quench this thirsting of my soul. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Here's my.
0: Thank you, thank you. I just needed that for myself. In the scripture I delved into the path of this man. The life of Joseph is a wonder all its own. He's He's part of a large family. There are 10 brothers before him. He is the 11th son of Jacob, but he is the first son of Rachel, the favored wife. He is the light in the eye of his aging father, but because of favoritism, Joseph is despised by his brothers. The lot of them murmur at his preference. Joseph will approach them and in short order in time they will capture him and they will strip him of his coat. They'll dip it in blood to tell a story to their father that Something has happened. And then, Joseph will be sold to the merchants traveling toward Egypt. Biblical and common thought and even historical context shows us that those merchants were selling something of great value, and in fact, the Bible gives us the indication. Those merchants, they sat down to eat bread, they lifted up their eyes, looked to behold a company of Ishmaelites. There's the merchant. They came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh. They're going to carry it down to Egypt. The balm, it came from Gilead. That was the healing balm that was cut from the trees that grew along the cliff of that city of refuge. It healed external wounds and even internal diseases and sicknesses. The irony of it all that is that those Ishmaelites who brought, who bought Joseph from his bitter and wounded brothers, they held the world's most profound healing ointment in their hand. Joseph is sold at 17. He'll spend 13 years in and out of adverse situations until at 30 years old, he finds himself in Pharaoh's courtyard revealing the intricacies of hidden dreams that God has given to Pharaoh. He said, God showed you. This, In the most profound way, the harvest and famine will come. It's going to come. It's settled now, Pharaoh. The testimony of it was received because no one told Joseph what the dreams were. The reason why Pharaoh believed and all of the courtyard and officials believed is because Joseph did not just give the interpretation of the dream. He actually told him what he dreamed. Now that is something you can't argue with. When you say to someone, I have a dream, can you tell me what it's about? Well, my first response is, well, tell me your dream. I might be able to tell you, or I could make up something that sounds good. If you tell me an odd dream, I might interpret it in this way. Domino's pizza. (laughs) Indigestion. But if you say, I have a dream, I'll believe you. But tell me what I dreamed, and then tell me the interpretation. Now that is significant. And Joseph held the power before the courtyard because he didn't just tell the dream. He told Pharaoh and all of them, here's what you dream last night. And it's not just one, it's two dreams. It's emphatic. God has settled the issue. The first part of that interpretation held promise. A harvest so great that it will overwhelm your barns. The crops will be so plentiful that bread and grain will be like the dust of the ground. It'll just... Be there just overflowing. The good times are coming. They are coming. You're going to have great times. The whole land will overflow with fruit and herbs and wheat. Whatever you plant will come back in abundance. You won't be able to stop it. This is the message of a thousand people. In fact, even prosperity orators today are sometimes right. Because as they say, such cliche-ish as it is a clock a broken clock is right at least two times a day harvest is joyful it's exciting it holds an allure all its own like that of youthful ambition it is the season of rain and sunshine of light and revelation and I love the harvest I don't just live for the harvest I don't but I do relish the moment when it comes I love when there's blessing I rejoice with you when something good happens in your life. When things make sense and we understand it and we're not left in a lurch or bewildered. Life is good and the shout and praise comes easy. It's always so wonderful to be able to walk in and clap and shout and praise God. The harvest brings an impulsive smile. There is no strain and there's no want when there is harvest and you are doing well. But it's the second part of the dream that causes Pharaoh to pause and contemplation. The second part was seven years of famine. Joseph spares no warning here. It was worth whatever measure of soberness they possessed. The seven years of famine will swallow up, he said, the first seven years of plenty. In fact, here it is. You will forget you ever had a harvest. You won't remember. Let me read it to you in the King James Bible. And all the plenty shall be forgotten in the land of Egypt. Here's the next verse. And the plenty shall not be known. The famine will wipe out more than just your gardens and your crops and your field and your grain and your fruit and your vegetables. It'll just, it'll do more than just take from you the bread that you have in your home. It's going to leave you with less than just an empty shelf. Real famines steal your memory real trouble of the which not everybody has real trouble. We've, el- we've elevated all of our trouble to famine time and they're not really famine time. In fact, many of us think that we're in a in, in a crisis and you're really not in a crisis. You just haven't been able to deal with a few things, but you're going to get out of that. Let me just tell you, you're going to get out of that. But you might end up in a famine because real trouble There's more than just remove the tangible from you. It consumes your joy. That's when you know you're in a real dry time. When you cannot find your joy. Even on a global scale, the darkness of this world has consumed the joy and the hearts of entire nations and people. The world today is sitting in a very dark moment. We know that the Lord is coming back soon because of the times that we live in. And this was not unseen. This was not unknown. It is a prophecy come to pass. We're living in the morass of the darkness of the end time. Here is what Peter wrote. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. So, saints, here's what Paul wrote in Galatians 5. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. Why would you stand fast? Because there is opposition coming, and that's why you have to stand fast. And don't be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Because the pressing of darkness and the famine and the trouble leads you to fall down instead of stand. It it forces you over. Instead, sometimes it even pushes you to get entangled again. And Paul is writing and Peter is writing. You have to be a light shining and you have to make sure that you have the day star rise in your heart. So stand fast and don't be entangled again. I want to just come to this pulpit and just say to everybody we can ill afford we will not lose our joy I think it's time for some of us to get our joy back today time for you to get your joy back today is going to be the day you get your joy back listen I know what this dynamic is it's very emotional this Pentecostal thing is very emotional you got a very emotional preacher that uses his hands and Kapish. I know But it's more than just emotion You're going to spin your emotion on something I, I, I'm just presenting to you It's time for you to get your joy back And Your joy might just be weeping and crying before the Lord Not because you're sad But just as overwhelmed with joy It might be that you jump and shout and clap your hands It might just be something burning inside of your heart To say I remember and I've got my joy back Something's been eating away at that But I'm here today to get something back Famine's been eating something away. Even if it means we got to go back to do the most simplistic things that we did when we first found the Lord. If that means we got to go back to the very simple things that we did when we first found God. Because you can outgrow the level of your joy. How do you do that? You got too big headed. You thought you can figure it all out instead of just being, you think you know everything about God. There's a lot more about God that you don't know than that, what you do know. So don't try to pretend you know everything about him. You're still a child in the eyes of the Lord. He's still the father. We are still the sons and daughters. I'm riding in the car with one of my sons. I won't name which one. You got to turn right here. Make the turn a little quicker. I know, Dad. No, you don't. I know. I know how to do this. No, you don't. I can't convince him. (laughs) Only way that I learned how to get on my road without spinning out is ending up in the ditch. Then I learned that my dad was telling me the truth. I didn't learn that until I ended up in the ditch and the dunards had to come with their tractor and pull me out of the ditch. I didn't tell my dad till later. But I told my dad during the time, I know what I'm doing, I got this handled, I've grown. Really? Yeah, well you can't take that turn like that because you'll end up in the ditch. (laughs) Me? No way. No way. And God's telling all of us some things. But we think we know as much as he knows. And we don't know as much as he knows. He sees the beginning from the ending, the ending from the beginning and everything in between beyond that. So I got to go back to the first step and say, whatever I did, if I call you father, if I say I just love you, whatever it is, I got to go back to the first step because he is the father. And I've got to get my joy. I've got to get that joy back. I said it earlier, but you just maybe you should just go back and sing a nursery song. Jesus loves me. Yes, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Well, that doesn't sound grown up, but maybe you got too grown up. And you just lift your hands and say, Fill my cup, Lord. I got a thirst in my soul. And money and vacations and jobs and cars and clothes and houses and stuff and food and all the things it's not filling it i've got a thirst in my soul bread of heaven give me something that satisfy me let you be the joy of my life again lord and i read the scripture and you have too and there are seven churches that are represented in the book of Revelation. And there are words written there that were spoken by Jesus. If you have a, a particular Bible that, that indicates when Jesus is talking, the, the translations will often put his words in red letters. And in the book of Revelation, you'll find Jesus speaking directly to the churches in Asia. Now, we can condemn the church in Ephesus if we want to. Jesus said the book of Revelation, chapter 2, to the church of Ephesus, this is what he said. You've worked hard, and you've persevered. You got through wicked men. You stood for righteousness. You were tested with false prophets and false apostles, and they tried to come in. You you pushed them out. You wouldn't allow false doctrine. You've had patience and good work ethic. But he said, I have somewhat against you. Verse 4, Thou hast left thy first love. You did a lot of good things, but, you, but you, I, got, I got one issue with you. You've left the very first thing that you were passionate about. You were doing all the right things. Yes, I'm, I'm glad about that. You, you didn't compromise your doctrine and you didn't let false prophets and false apostles come in and you stood for righteousness, but, but you've lost something. It's a key element. It's first love element. And I've got that against you. And and even when he said that, he did not leave them without a remedy. And said, Jesus said in the next verse and I read, he said, repent and do the things you did at first. If you want to get your first love back, if you want to get your joy back, then just say, Lord, forgive me. And then go back to the first thing that you used to do. Now, I'm not going to stand here and justify the saints of Ephesus. It's not in my authority or power. I would never do that. I can't give them a pass when Jesus has already spoken the word himself. But from the scripture, there's a clear and undeniable truth. Work, fighting for what's right, battling false prophets, false testimonies, dealing with the wicked people. It takes a toll on people's lives. When you're trying to do right and you're doing right and you're battling and you're doing good, it does take a toll. It it, it doesn't mean that you're not doing that, that that you're doing something wrong, but in the battle, in the fight, just to live a right life, a good life before the Lord, you can easily lose something, and what you lose is critical to you. And maybe that's what happened in the church of Ephesus. They journeyed through all that mess and it sapped them. They lost the first thing, the most important thing, their first love. There's nothing like the first love. It's the joy of the heart. It's the joy of it all. It comes with anticipation and excitement. It's harvest and grain and sunshine and spontaneous praise. But when famine comes and you you start to lose your joy, We can move through ritual and ceremony and even operate through obligation. I know this to be true. I've been held by my commitments to the things of God. And there are many people who walk in churches and they come because they are committed. And I commend you on being committed even when you don't feel like it. And I've felt the Holy Ghost many times. And I know... That sometimes, that feeling of the Holy Spirit, I also do what I know is true to do. I feel the Holy Spirit. I'm just struggling a little bit with my joy. God is true. The Bible's right. The world's settled, the word is settled. The doctrine is sound in our lives. But I'm preaching today because it's time for you to get your first love back and your joy back. It's been, hear me, it's been a long time since you prayed and cried. There's a couple men in this place where you first were, were raised in the, in the truth and you first came to God. You used to praise and shout and thank God and tears would roll down your face. You didn't care about what anyone thought. But you got a little grown up and you kind of left that and life just sapped you. You didn't give up on the doctrine, but you lost your joy. Psalm 48. Beautiful for Situation the joy of the whole earth is
1: mount zion
0: on the sides of the north a city of a great king this is our king i just want to say but jerusalem which is above is free it's the mother of us all you've got a home prepared for you there's a new jerusalem coming for you you got reason to rejoice And when you're in trouble and you've done wrong, here's the prayer you gotta pray. Psalm 51 and 12. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Not just, not just the Holy Ghost, but the joy of it. Not just my commitment, but the joy of it. I told you when I began that I'm preaching from the place of the office in which God has called me. But I also know there's a prophetic word. So I'm speaking something out of my mouth just to, just to, with, with, just to, just to fight back all the darkness and all the things that sap you in the famine time. <laughs> Jeremiah 15. Thy words were found. I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart. Here's the revelation. For I am called by thy name, O Lord
1: God of hosts.
0: We're going to go after our joy. And there's only one way to do it. We're going to go back to the first thing and speak the way we did the first time and find the first testimony and we're going to speak it until we remember what he did for us. This is replete in the Bible. Here's Jude. Jude wrote it this way. Though you already know this, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt. You already know it, but let me just tell it to you one more time. The Lord delivered them out of Egypt. Peter said this twice, Second Peter three one. This second epistle I write. I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. Second Peter one thirteen. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live. As long as I'm living, I'm going to refresh your memory. This is the struggle of many pulpits. We don't want to repeat the same testimonies over and over. Oh, he's going to tell it again. He's going to say that one more time. Well, I'll tell you why we say it one more time and again and again. As long as I'm here in this place preaching in this house, I'm going to remind you that you've been healed. You've been delivered. God brought you out. He picked you up. He loved you. He restored you. I want to tell it over and over. the moment you stop repeating it because you think everybody knows it that's the moment you lose the memory of what God did for you I want to tell you how we kept my grandfather Farino alive his name was Stastuch Farino and my grandmother's name, maiden name was Annie Costa Giovanni. <laughs> and my grandfather was a nut. <laughs> Let me tell you how we kept him alive all this time. We get around the table and we tell Grandpa Farino stories. Scotty, tell us that again. How Grandpa would stand up even when there wasn't a testimony service to be had and yell out at my dad while my dad was at the pulpit and say, Bill, I have a testimony. And he would start talking to the people. Didn't matter what what time the service, way out of order. And my grandmother would pull on his coat and say, Willie, sit down. And then they would have a full-fledged argument and a fight right there in the church. One day, my grandmother got sick right during my my father's sermon. And she was not feeling well. And grandma never got sick, but she got very ill. And grandpa, she turned to him and said, I got to go home. I'm not, I'm really not well. And right, my dad's just the point of his great message. Grandpa stood up and said, Bill, my mom's over there on the other side. Rosalie, Annie's sick. We're taking her home. Everybody pray. Pray, saints. Pray. Just talk to everybody right out of the building. I don't even know when dad was preaching. It was over, it was done or the time that Scott had all the kids come for prayer meeting and we had we had wooden pews and and, 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 and and all the youth group came and we were praying and it's hard, it was hard Scott knew how to pray but none of us knew what to say we were just waiting for him to say something we would repeat whatever Scott was saying and my grandpa showed up, Grandpa Farino showed up at the kids, at the youth prayer meeting and he, he wasn't invited he wasn't invited, he got in the pew and he he, was, he bent down and knelt in that pew, that hard pew, you know, you say anything in the hard pews, it echoes. It just echoed through the church, and Grandpa's praying real loud, and, you you know, it just shut everyone down. Scott's trying to, come on, we're going to pray. All the kids are going to pray, and Grandpa's in there praying. He said, oh, Jesus! You're beautiful, Jesus. You're so beautiful, Jesus. And look at those angels. (laughs) Grandpa flirting with the angels? What are you doing there? (laughs) He's ogling the angels. Man, we've been telling those stories. He's been gone a long time. But in my mind, he's still alive. He's still with us. He's still around because we keep telling the story. Somebody came to me a, a, a year or two ago and they said, do you remember what happened to me? I said, well, just tell me one more time. And they start telling me, you know, I, I was an alcoholic and I, and, and, and I had everything wrecked in my life. And I didn't know what I was going to do. But some, one day I just, I showed up at a church and, and, and the Lord started touching me. I don't even know what happened. I didn't go through any rehabilitation. But in a moment he just took everything away from me and I said, tell it again. That's how you get your joy back. <laughs> hey. Just tell me one more time that the Lord brought you out, that you didn't deserve it, but God did it for you.
1: I got, I, got, I, got it, I
0: got it back, got it back. I'm hard on these microphones. I just, I just want to read a little bit to you now from Hebrews. Don't get comfortable. <laughs> it's a, this is a really hard one. Because this is not culturally Christianity in America. Because we've diluted and dumbed down everything about the Bible and God. People really don't know anything about the Lord. In fact, most of the people in the world have created a God that does not exist. When you start reading God's Bible, his scripture, his voice, and you start to learn. Are you ready? Verse 31, Hebrews 10. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. But be very careful. You don't want to get into the hands. In fact, the old preacher said, sinners in the hands of an angry God. The fame sermon. But the right of Hebrews doesn't leave us there. Here's the next verse. But call to remembrance the former days. It, is, it, it's, it, it implies that the keep yourself out of the hands of judgment. Remember the former days. After light came to you. You were illuminated. And you endured the fight of affliction. And you got out. Let me read it to you in another version. Remember those early days after you had received the light when you stood on your ground and you had a great contest. And sometimes you were publicly exposed and insulted and persecuted and, 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 and you struggled. But you came out of it. Remember what you went through. Not just Hebrews, but Paul joins us co chorus when he, when he writes to Timothy. And I quote from Second Timothy. Wherefore I put you in. In remembrance, here we go, that you stir up the gift of God. It's already been put on you. When I laid my hands on you, the gift was inside of you. For God did not give a stir it up. God did not give you the spirit of fear. Stir it up. He gave you power. He gave you love. Stir it up. He gave you a sound mind. Stir it up. There's a prophetic sound here today. We're going to set in motion. The gift of God that he's already given to us. If you've been born again of the spirit, stir it up a little bit. Start to praise him a little bit. You cannot lose your joy. You cannot lose your praise. I've got to get my joy. Yes. Yes. I loose joy. Here's what the Bible says. Whatever you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth it shall be loosed in heaven. I loose joy in this place. I loose joy for all of those that are struggling. I bind up all the fear, all the doubt. I bind that up in the name of Jesus. I'm in the book. I, I take dominion over all anxiety and depression that comes from the spirit of this age. Because there is no darkness in Jesus Christ, he is the light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. There is no shadow of turning in him and the joy of the Lord is going to be your strength. The joy of the Lord is going to be your strength. I proclaim and open up the joy of the Lord when you get into your car. I pray the joy of the Lord when you get into your home. In the morning, I pray the joy of the Lord will wake you up. I pray stir up the gift that God's given you because he did not give you the spirit of fear again to bondage. He brought you out of bondage. Just give me a moment. But when you sit down, I want you to just clap your hands unto the Lord. I want to know what David said to himself. What was it that lifted up his own spirit when everything he had was lost? All that he had was wiped out in a single day. His own family taken by the enemy. All of his possessions on that day were stolen. And on top of that, the men whom he had helped and nurtured, they turned against him. They were his only friends. These were a band of indebted men. They had nothing until David found them. They were a bunch of outcasts, the Bible says, until David brought them in. Their only claim was that they believed that David would one day be king, and they had nothing to lose, so they joined him. The number is somewhere between 400 and 600 of those men. They all had massive debt, they owned no property, and they had no money, and they were struggling. But now... When those men followed David into a battle, they left their camp. They left their wives, their young sons and daughters, and their possessions. And they went to fight a good battle, a righteous battle, something that the Lord had ordained. But when they came back home to their camp, the place was ravaged. Their children were kidnapped. Their wives were taken. All of their possessions were how do you deal with that when you're doing the right thing and you get back to where you you thought you would be and everything's gone the enemy has come and while they were they were fighting the good fight all of their possessions and their family were stolen the same enemy that took david's family and possessions have taken all of the men's possessions but now they're not thinking about his loss They don't think that he's gone through trouble because most people look at a leader and say, well, you're leading, you never have a bad day. You never struggle. You don't know what I go through. (laughs) But David was going through it. Because his wife and his children, they were also kidnapped and all of his possessions. And more than that, his own men turned against him. Because they're all thinking about this. And they care little for his own suffering and his bewilderment and his own pain. Here's the word for Samuel 30 and 6. And David was greatly distressed. For the people spake of stoning him. Because the soul... Of all those men were, was grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord. Not just encourage himself. You see, if you encourage yourself, that's called the power of positive speaking. And that's like cotton candy. It's there. It's gone. It floats away. But would you encourage yourself in the Lord, it simply means you're going back to what God did. And I want to know, what did David say to himself? When the bottom drops out and you have no one to lean on, when there are more questions than there are answers, and those around you blame you even though you are caught in the same trouble and famine that they are in. What do you say when you have famine in your life? What did David say? How did he encourage himself? And the next line, how did he do that in the Lord his God? There's only one way. He had to bring up some memories. I remember those lonely nights in that field, tending the sheep of my father. David, don't you, he's talking to himself like his third person. David, don't you remember? I don't know. I'm just, I'm thinking he had to, he had to recall something. He had to recall something. This is what I would have said. I would have said to myself David, don't you remember when the lion came and you grabbed a hold of that lion and you ripped that jaw in half and don't you remember when the bear came out of the woods and you killed the bear how could you have done that? It had to be with the Lord. And remember when you were commissioned by the by, by your father to bring food to your brothers. They were all on the battlefield and Eliab, your oldest brother, he did not like you asking questions but King Saul had no choice because he had no body to fight the battle and you shook off the king's armor and you picked up your own stone in your slingshot remember how you ran out to meet that massive giant Goliath in the valley of Elah. Say it again David say it to yourself. Say it one more time. Say it like you did the first time. What did you say David? Say it like you did the first time when you saw the enemy you come to me with a sword and a spear but I come to you in the name of the Lord say it again say it again You come to me with doubt and fear and anxiety and trouble and situation, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. Going to be twenty four hundred dollars by the time I'm. This expensive sermon right here. <laughs> Somebody get the ushers ready. We got we got, we got five. We got five bucks. <laughs> David had to remember something. He had to remember the day that the prophet Samuel bypassed all of the seven brothers to get to number eight. And the Lord said, there's the one. He had to remember that the prophet poured the oil over his head and anointed him king to be. He had to remember, purposely and intentionally remember. Are you catching this? You have to purposely And intentionally remember that the kingdom lays ahead of you. And the blessing is forthcoming. You have to intentionally and purposely remember that God has called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. Because trouble is not simply meant to cause you pain and heartache. It's meant to erase the goodness of the Lord in your mind. The enemy is not just about afflicting your soul. He wants you to forget the blessings so that you lose your first love. So I say to you, whether it's your emotional response or not, if it's just in your spirit or if it is with your body, get up. Shout Jesus! Stir it up! He brought you out of the miry clay. He put you on a rock to stay. He put a song in your heart. The joy of the Lord. Say it out! Of your, is going to be my strength. The joy of the Lord is going to be your strength. You're coming out. You're going to be okay. You just got to go back and remember what God has done. God is in this house.
1: Hey
0: Yes. Yadabashata. Yo. Just stay standing. I want to say to the new converts, new believers, and to the young people, you're going to kill some giants. It's going to be magnificent. I don't just have faith. I know it's going to happen. You are going to climb some mountains that heretofore no one has ever climbed. You're going to call down fire from heaven like Elijah on top of Mount Carmel. It's going to be a witness in the spirit and no one is going to be able to refute it. And there will be victory and triumph and harvest. And there will be years of gain and grain and bread and getting and revelation. And you've got to remember it. Because when the day comes, hear me new believer. When the day comes and famine hits your life and loss invades the good, you're going to have to draw from the storehouse of God's blessing. Because this is what Joseph said. I'll tell you how you're going to get through the famine. You build a storehouse and you put all the goodness in the storehouse. And when the times are meager, you draw from the storehouse to replenish the empty place in your life. Because joy is not always found in the present reality. It may be resting in the goodness of yesterday. And to that end, there are no mountains, ladies and gentlemen, without two valleys that traverse either side. There are no victories without struggles, both within and without. The triumphant voice only shouts when there's something to shout about. My joy is coming. Your joy is coming. I'm not giving up on my joy. I'm going to sing because he's good. I'm going to do what the obligation is until joy comes back to my life. And I'm going to draw from the memory the resource of my mind. His name is my refuge. His presence is my peace. His purpose is my ambition. Here's my last line. Jesus, your Jesus, is in the trading business. He loves to trade. He likes to trade. He wants to make a trade with you today. Here's Isaiah 61. He trades beauty for ashes. (laughs) He'll take your ashes, all the junk, nastiness, all the ugliness, and he'll give you beauty. The oil of joy, he's going to give you the oil of joy for all the weeping and mourning and crying and 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 that weariness of your spirit. He wants to give you the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Heaviness drives you down, but the spirit of praise lifts you
1: up. Hey!
0: And Jesus read this verse, and Jesus said, I've come to heal the brokenhearted. I've come to preach deliverance to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind. And I'm going to set at liberty because bruising binds you up and wounds, it binds you up and trouble conflicts you. But Jesus said, I've come to set at liberty those that are bruised. In the name of Jesus right now, I, I, I release joy in your life. Lord, I, I'm just saying it out of my mouth, but I, I, I release praise, Lord. I release freedom, Lord. I release you to be the prince of peace, Lord, over every situation, anxiety. I, I take dominion over every fear and every doubt. I take dominion and authority over everything that rises up against us. Every device of the enemy, I pray right now in the name of Jesus, restore the joy to the people of God. I pray right now, let the first love and the first actions be done all over again today. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I set you free in Jesus' name. Lift up your voice right now. Just pray it. Pray it. Speak it over your life. Say, I remember, Lord, what you did for me now. I remember how you set me free. Hey, you got a couple minutes just to rejoice in the Lord. Just set your side and rejoice that in the
1: Lord. In Jesus' name.